Hello, welcome back to the Embrace the Geek podcast. This is your host, Matt Crowder. I wanted to thank you for coming back and listening again. Tonight, we're going to talk about something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. Well, ever since the middle of last month. When quite possibly one of my favorite movies came out. And that's Man of Steel. You see, I grew up as a Superman fan. I can still remember as a young kid, maybe three, four years old, seeing Christopher Reeve don the tights and cape for the first time and fly out of the Fortress of Solitude. I can still remember him going through the rotating door, coming out, getting the the comment, Say, Jim, that's a bad outfit, before launching up into the air and catching Lois Lane. After that, we had Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman, and I watched every week, and I loved it, because it was Superman on my TV. And then recently, we just ended ten great years of the television show Smallville, where Tom Welling filled the role of Clark Kent, and showed us what Clark Kent went through before he became Superman, and then finally accepting and realizing his destiny and becoming Superman. So tonight, we're going to go over some of my overall thoughts of the movie, how it was written, how it was directed, how it was shot, and talk about some of the scenes that really hit me, or really impressed me, or really touched my heart. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the biggest complaints that people are having. And I'm going to, you know, share my opinion of those. Um, maybe it'll change your mind. Maybe make you think about it a little bit differently. If not, that's okay. Because, you know, that's one of the great things about us being geeks is that we all can have our own opinion. We don't always have to agree. But we're all allowed to have our own opinions. That's what's great. So... Sit back, relax, we're going to talk of some Man of Steel. And oh, did I mention, we're going to talk a little bit about the Batman vs. Superman news that came out of the San Diego Comic Con last week. i share some of my thoughts and feelings on that, and a, a rather surprising choice that I have of who I think might be a good Bruce Wayne in this new imagination, this new universe that the Man of Steel inhabits. And also, Bruce Wayne inhabits. So, here we go. Let's talk Man of Steel. again. Um, thanks for uh, coming in again. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, remember, if you uh, have any questions, comments, um, if you like the show, if you like the show, tell your friends. Uh, you, you all can find me at uh, over on Twitter at Matt Crowder zero uh, seven. That's uh, M A T T C R O W D E R zero seven over there on Twitter. Um, also. I want to recommend you guys go and check out the the great website gunageek.com. 
I've uh, written an article over there about Doctor Who, and uh, I'm starting to write some more for them, hopefully. Uh, they've, got, they've got a great network of podcasts over there. They have their own podcasts, and it's just a great time uh, for anything, all things geeky. And uh, I really appreciate them being there and allowing me to take part of their fun. So we're here to talk about the Man of Steel tonight. And it's been a very polarizing movie ever since it came out. Um, there were some critical reviews of the movie by the you know the professional critics, but in large part the fans have have enjoyed it and have appreciated it. Um, I'm going to start off. I'm just going to give you some overall thoughts of what I of what I thought about the movie. Um, from let's let's start at the, at the beginning about a you know two years or so ago we found out that they were making a new Superman movie and then they released the the picture of Henry Cavill in the suit up against the the door to the vault and then about a year ago and a little more than a year ago uh, the Dark Knight Rises came out in theaters and in front of that they had the two teaser trailers one narrated by Russell Crowe who plays Jor-El and the other narrated by Kevin Costner who played Jonathan Kent. That really got the, the the juices going. Got me really excited. Because it felt different than what we'd seen before in any other incarnation of the Man of Steel or of Superman. And then uh, with The Hobbit shortly before that, last December, we had a, a full trailer and that's when the viral viral marketing plan started. Um, and that was really cool with the, the fans decoding the signals, um, finding out that we are not alone, leading into some more trailers. And then finally on June 13th, for some of us who went to the Walmart shows, uh, we finally got to see the movie and everybody else on June 14th. Um, me, myself, um, like I was saying in, in the intro, I grew up with Christopher Reeve being Superman. Um, I was the kid who would run around with a towel tied around my neck pretending I was Superman. I was the the kid who would sit there, you know, with my legs crossed on the floor, with, you know, TVs up high so my head's cocked back and my mouth open just watching this man fly. I, I, I believed a man could fly, just like the poster said. And then we had Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman, which I thought was great. Um, even with, you know what some could consider uh, the Lois Lane character being kind of ditzy. They even referred to her, uh, one of the time travelers in one episode, referred to her as the galactically stupid Lois Lane for not realizing that he's just wearing a pair of glasses. It's the same guy. Um, And then we had, uh, most recently starting in 2001, 10 years of Smallville, which... It wasn't really a Superman show. It was a Clark Kent show. It was a Clark Kent origin show. Where we saw him grow from a teenage kid into a man. We saw him go from a teenage kid just learning about these new powers, gaining these new powers, into Superman, who fully embraced his destiny, fully embraced his abilities and his place in the world. And now we have this, the Man of Steel. Which is similar in that respect because we have a Clark Kent who doesn't know where he belongs. He's got these powers, but he doesn't know what to do with it. His his dad, his Earth dad, is telling him, "You got to hide this side of you. The world's not ready. They aren't ready for you yet. But someday, 
when the time is right. It's going to be up to you if you want to stand out there in front of the world, in front of the, the people of earth, and show them what you can do. And it's your character, your character as a man, whether it be good character or bad, that's going to change the world. And when I heard those words during that teaser trailer a year ago, it sent chills up my spine. Because that's the one that I got when I was in the theaters. And then I got home and I found out, holy crap, there's another one? Let me find this one on YouTube. So I went and found it. And it was the Russell Crowe one talking about they will chase you, they will chase behind you. They will fall. They will stumble, they will fall. But in time, that you will help them achieve greatness. They will they will follow you into the sun. Now, that's a paraphrase. It's not an exact quote. I apologize, but I, I know you get the point. When I heard that, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I, I felt the all-star Superman vibe, uh, which I loved that that uh, animated movie. Um, I'll admit, I, I haven't really gotten into the Superman comics. I'm not a Superman comics expert. I've... I've Stuck mostly to the the visual, the the movies, the TV shows, the animated, even all the way back to the to the uh, George Reeve Superman back in the uh, early part of uh, the last century, and also with that the the old time radio classic shows, and I love those because I get to use my imagination. Um, that's something that I think is just wonderful about the geek universe the geekosphere is that it allows us to use our imagination and paint that picture for ourselves uh, and I just I just love it so when this movie came out uh, I, I knew I was going to go see it uh, there was no doubt about it I knew I was going to go see it but before I went to that Walmart showing I didn't read any reviews. I didn't want to go in with any idea as to what was going to happen other than what I had seen in the trailers. What I had seen in the few commercials that I started seeing, after a while I just stopped because there was one a new one every day it seemed like. Um, and I didn't want to be I didn't want to see the whole movie before I got in there. I wanted to be surprised. I wanted to feel like it was new to me and a new story to me. And I didn't want to go in thinking, "Oh, when's this going to happen? When's that going to happen?" So, first off, I wanted to say thank you to Zack Snyder. Thank you to Legendary. Thank you to Christopher Nolan. Thank you to everyone involved in this movie. Um, I think they delivered. I think they they paid it off. Hans Zimmer with his, his with his music. He had a a very big set of shoes to fill. Uh, having John Williams's th- theme and his score being the sounds of Superman for the for 30 plus years my entire life um, but they did a great job and I know there were a lot of people when they first heard that Zack Snyder was involved were kind of nervous and kind of leery because of Watchmen and 300 they didn't want it to be too cartoony and honestly it looked like a totally different film to me at least and I like both of those films but it seemed like a totally different movie um, but the writing uh, David Goyer's writing I thought was very very good it pulled in some of the the legacy and some of the some of the canon from some of the comics some of the other stories and pieced them together into a wonderful story 
the directing, I think Zack Snyder did a great job. Um, one thing, you know, I know another person, uh, uh, Steve Glosson over at uh, Geek Out Loud mentioned that he didn't care too much for the for the shaky cam. I gotta admit, I kind of agree with him. Um, there were times where it got to be too much for me, but all in all, I thought it was brilliant. Um, the scene up in the Arctic as he walks out of the of his of the Genesis ship onto the snowy snowy outcropping there, and then flying around the world for the first time, I just thought it was brilliant. Um, the the cinematography that goes to the cinematography, it was just all in all, it was a very good package. Um, starting off, it we start off in Krypton at the birth of of Kal-el, and we find out that he's the the first natural birth birth of a Kryptonian in centuries. And that was interesting to me. I, that was a part of the something that I hadn't even thought of. That's not something that I was you know, knowledgeable about uh, that the whole side, but it was nice to see that, and then to see a a living, breathing Krypton, not some ice planet. Which nothing against the old Christopher Reeve movies, loved them to death. But before I went into this one, I just had to separate my mind from those. I had to take. The Richard Donner movies, those four Superman movies with Christopher Reeve in them, and put them on the shelf in my memory. Those put those movies on the shelf. I had to put Lois and Clark on the shelf. I had to put the ten seasons of Smallville on the shelf, which was almost a shelf of its own because it was so much, and it was still so fresh in my mind. But I had to set those aside and go in like I didn't know who this Kal-el was or where Krypton was, or what was he was going to become. And that helped me a little bit in it. I didn't have those preconceived notions. I, I wasn't sitting there, you know, when he put the suit on. I wasn't waiting for the trumpets to blare and the the John Williams score to start because I put those aside uh, in my mind. And because of that, I think I had a, a much better appreciation for the movie. I didn't have some of those hang-ups that you hear a lot of the critics talking about and we'll go a little bit of into that more later where people were comparing it to the old stuff too much and I think that caused a hang up for them in their minds and you know there's n- there's nothing wrong with it I don't hold it against them and if you're one of those folks I don't hold it against you that's your opinion that's your right but um, we're there in Krypton this living breathing and Kal-El's born and then we see the confrontation in the council chambers where Zod executes his coup moving into uh, Jor-El going to get this this mystical codex which we aren't really sure what it what it entails until later on in the movie and I thought that was really a brilliant move on the part of the writers and directors to not just come up front and tell us what it is keep us waiting, keep us in, susp- in suspense about what this thing is that's so important I mean, we kind of have an idea not really f- a full understanding of it, and I thought that was awesome. Um, and then we we get to the to the citadel um, with the with the crest of the House of El on the outside, and they're 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 having to let their son go, having to in order to protect him and give him a better life because their planet is their it's their planet's time is coming to an end. Krypton 
is not going to survive. Um, and for the first time, uh, at least that I know of and that I can remember on the things that I've seen, we actually see a Jorel who's going to throw a punch, not just stand there stoically and talk, but actually throw a punch. And he holds his own against Jor, uh, against, uh, against Zod. Uh, takes out two of his minions and then he goes toe to toe with them, only to get stabbed by the man who was his friend and die. Then shortly after that we see the, the ship fire up its phantom drives and then disappear. And we see Zod and his followers being put into the Phantom Zone, which I thought was kind of a nice touch, where it wasn't just this big mirror flying down at them. Uh, he actually had them some things to say, and he made the threat, you know, I will find him. He, you can't keep him from me. I will find him. And we think at that point, you know, he's he's just out for vengeance. But in reality, we find out later on that he has bigger reasons for it. Um, then we cut to the ship coming back out of the hyperdrive around the moon, which I thought was an amazing shot. I love that. And then coming down, crash down into the fields of Kansas. But then we see a splash, and some people have kind of joked that, you know, we see Clark Kent on season 12 of Deadliest Catch. But I thought that was kind of cool. We see Superman with a beard there doing some menial tasks. You know, the one guy tackles him out of the way from the falling crab pot. You know, thinking that, yeah, that could crush him, but really, if that thing were to fall on him, it'd probably bend in half around him. It's not hurt him. And they get called to, you know, rescue some people on an oil rig fire. And we get to see the first real glimpse of his strength. Not the, not so much, you know, getting there so fast and climbing up to it, but he rips the metal door off. He's on fire, which was very cool. Um, and we see a little glimpse of, holy crap, su- holy crap, Superman's jacked. You know, there's no padding in, in any suit that he's gonna wear. Uh, but, then the, the, the support structure starts to fail, and he gets them all in the helicopter and just goes over and he, ca- and he catches it. But we see how strong he is where he's not the one bending under the weight of it. He's struggling, but he's not bending under the weight of it. It's the metal below him that's beginning to bend. The steel below him is beginning to bend. So really, he's stronger than steel. He is the man of steel. He's stronger than steel, which I thought was very cool. And we see a little bit more of him traveling from place to place. Whenever there's a confrontation, anytime he has to use a power, he leaves. Um, then we go move up to the to the Arctic, where there's some report of some anomaly in the ice, and. He, you know, we see Lois Lane, if we get to introduce to her getting off the airplane, she's kind of sassy. I kind of like that. That was nice. She's very smart, very driven. But then there's Clark Kent just grabbing the bags. They don't really allude to him, but he's there. And then Lois, being Snoopy Lois like she is, being the investigative journalist, she follows him into this ship. And he takes the key that he's had for his entire life. And he sees a place where he can put it. But let me rewind a little bit, because we see a little bit in there, because we see the, when he, after he saves the guys on the oil rig, we see the school bus, and that triggers his first flashback. And that was a really great part of the movie that I thought, we didn't start off with young Clark Kent growing up, seeing all this stuff. We see different 
things happening that are triggering his memories of things that happen. And we see the conversation with him and his father. Of, you you, you got to hide this side of you. People, people are scared. They aren't going to understand. They aren't going to know what to do. You know, he asked the question, should I have just let those people die? And Jonathan says, maybe. And I don't think he said that flippantly. Oh, it didn't come off as he was saying it flippantly. He, he was, he's a scared father. You know, there's no instruction book on how to raise an alien child with superpowers. He's doing the best he can. He doesn't know what to do. He's, he's just worried about this boy who is his son. And when he shows him the ship and tells them, Pretty definitively, you're not from this planet. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe. He says, can I pretend to be your son? And he gets choked up and he says, you are my son. And me as a father and me as a son, that that was one of the first parts that really hit me. Really got me a little choked up there in the movie theater. I'm glad it was dark and I didn't have anybody sitting next to me. Because I got a little choked up by that. And you can see the love on his face. You can see it in his reaction to that. That he loves this boy. This is the boy he has raised. He loves him. So we fast forward. So let's go back again. Um, we're in the ship, and he starts to. And he meets Jor-El. He meets the 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 holographic representation of his father, and he gets this. He asks the question, "Who am I? Where do I come from?" Because he doesn't know. He has no idea who he is or what he's doing there, why he is the way he is. And then we see the explanation of where he's from. The the very cool, it's almost like a moving wall representation of Krypton's expansion out into space and then contraction and talk of how basically everyone on Krypton, every one of the Kryptonians is engineered for a specific person. Or for for a specific purpose in their life, but he was the first born out of love, and that he has the choice to be whatever he wants to be. He he wasn't designed for a, a single person. He can be his own person. But very quickly after that, uh, there's the the confrontation between Lois and the uh, little probe droid type of thing. And where he saves her, and then after that we see him very quickly. After that, actually, uh, we see him step out as Superman, clean shaven, wearing the suit, soaking in the rays of the sun. And that's something that I wish they they could have expanded on more. And I'm really hoping that when the Blu-ray comes out, that they have either a director's cut or a bunch of deleted scenes that have more of that interaction between him and Jor-El where he's telling him about his powers where we see him going over stuff, you know, maybe explaining the suit, how it came about is this a ceremonial first contact type of robe with the red and blue and gold, or if he, you know, maybe even as simple as, you know, when you came in here you inserted the key, the ship scanned you and got your measurements and that's how they made the suit it hasn't just been waiting here this whole time knowing you were coming but it was made specifically for you this is your ceremonial robes and when Jor-El opens up the suit you know they need a symbol of hope that's what this symbol means it means hope 
Uh, I thought that was very good, very very cool, nice touch that they did there. Um, and then we see him kind of struggle with learning how to fly. He soaks in the the rays of the sun, crouches down, jumps up. And he's just starting to get it, and then he tumbles through and takes out the top half of a mountain in Alaska or Canada. And I thought that was pretty funny. But he got back up, dusted himself off, and took off again. And we see him flying around with a huge smile on his face. Just loving it, his powers, and I think maybe for the first time, really enjoying that he can do these things. Whereas before, he was trying to hide him, or he was, you know, he hated the fact that he was that way. But now he's got these powers, and he's like, "Wow, this is this is pretty good. I like this." Um, uh, then we, he goes back to Smallville. He meets up with Lois, who has tracked him down with his with his childhood friend slash enemy Pete um, and he gets to his mother's house and then he he meets her in the in the cemetery at his father's grave and tells him about tells her about how he had to let his father die to protect his secret because he trusted his father and that scene right there some people have said there's no way you know he could have gotten over there and back he should have saved him to me, I thought it was more powerful just seeing Jonathan stand there next to the car and put his hand up and shake his head and just say, no, you can't do it. And just smile at him with, with love in his eyes because he was protecting his son. So at this point, both of Clark's fathers, both of Kellogg's fathers have died protecting him and saving him in their minds. And then we have the first signal from Zod saying, turn over Kal-El. And he turns himself in. There was the great scene in the, in the interrogation room between, between him and Lois. And then he, you know, he snaps the, the, the handcuffs off. He's like, listen, you, you want to control me. You, you fear me because you want to control me and you can't and you never will. But I'm not an enemy. I'm here to help. You know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And they, they turn him over to Zod, which is what the people of the earth wanted, um, which was brave. But then Lois had to go with him. And when we get on the ship, we see what his weakness is. It's not kryptonite. It's the atmosphere of, of Krypton that he's used. He's not used to it. It's a different atmosphere. And we heard before his, you know, Jor-El and Lara put him in the ship that the atmosphere is rich. It will nourish him. And and then we hear, you know, Martha Kent say, you know, when you were, I remember when you were a baby, you, you would have such trouble breathing. And I was so, I was so scared. And now we see that's his weakness right now is that he can't, he can't take that atmosphere. That's what's making him weak. It's making him mortal. It's making him a Kryptonian. Whereas on earth he's powerful. He doesn't have... The, he, his body can't handle the Kryptonian atmosphere. There's no kryptonite. That is his kryptonite, if you want to call it. But there is no big green rocks. We may see those in future movies. We may not. Who knows? And we may see, you know, Bruce Wayne take some of that and, you know, put some in his in his in his gloves and use that to beat the holy snot out of Superman when they go toe to toe. We don't know. We'll have to find out. But we see his, the first confrontations with Zod and we find out that that the Codex holds the genetic code for every Kryptonian that's to be born 
and he's trying to get it so that he can preserve and restart the Kryptonian race now that Krypton is gone but he's not all his intentions aren't all good he intends to make the earth into Krypton which would kill every human being on the planet and Kal-El can't can't do that he he has to save them he 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 has to do what he can to stop Zod um, and we get to the, the to the big ending battle, which was which was long. It felt quick to me the first time I saw it, but then I saw it again. I was like, man, this is kind of going on long. But I still liked it. I, I was starting to see more things in there that I missed the first time. Uh, and that's something that some people have said also is that the pacing was off. It was too fast. They couldn't catch everything. Well, I agree. The first time that I missed a bunch of stuff, but I went back and saw it again, and I caught more things that I missed before. And I saw it a third time, and I caught a bunch more stuff. And I'm sure once the Blu-ray comes out and I watch it again, I'll see more. Hopefully I'll see that, that sign in the back of the office building, the little poster that says, Keep Calm and Call Batman. Hopefully I see those little Easter eggs. But uh, I didn't catch it when I was watching it in the movie. I did, however, see the Gotham or the Wayne Industries symbol on the satellite, which I thought was great. It tells us there is a Bruce Wayne in this universe, which obviously we know now because he's going to be in the next movie. But I thought that was a nice touch. It was one of those blink and you miss it things. But I thought it was cool. I liked it. But there have been, you know, I we've gotten to the to the to the to the crux of it of what I thought about the movie. There have been some major critiques, I guess, or concerns or complaints about the movie that some people have brought up. The first one is that everybody knows who he is. Everybody in Smallville knows who he is. Everybody knows that Clark Kent is Superman. Another one is the is uh, that like I was mentioning the pacing issues. Another big one that a lot of people are talking about is all the death and destruction. And why wasn't Superman trying to do what he could to save people? And then the uh, the last big one would be you know what you call the snap herd around the world when he kills Zod, uh, which took me by surprise. I'm not gonna lie. I, I sat there and I I said, "Holy crap! What what did I just see? I was not expecting that." But to go back to the first one, about how everybody knows who he is. You know, I can understand that complaint. You know, he's comes back to Smallville and he walks up to the priest, and, and I kind of think that that priest is the one who was bullying him outside of Sullivan's garage. Um, and maybe he knows who he is. And he says who he is, but he doesn't say he's Clark Kent. And then you know. He's he's getting beat down by Feora in the IHOP, which Feora was great, by the way. I'm, I'm glad that Feora went to the Phantom Zone because now hopefully she can get out of the Phantom Zone and terrorize him some more because Feora was outstanding um, to me. Plus, she's gorgeous, and that doesn't hurt at all either. But to that, I would say, you know, they could have lessened that complaint a little bit very simply and here's why or how so we meet Clark Kent as a 33 year old man working on a crab boat on Deadliest Catch season 12 you know as a 33 year old man and then the the most recent thing that we saw of him before that in his flashbacks was when he was you know 17 18 year old kid right before his right after his father died and me personally my thought on it is I like to think that after that, you know, maybe he finished high school and then he left. 
because maybe of the guilt in him of having to let his father die. He didn't want to put his mother at risk of doing the same thing and losing his mother. So he left. And he's just been traveling around for like 15 years, from odd job to odd job, trying to figure out where he's where his place in the world is. And, you know, going looking for clues as to, you know, where he's from. Um, and if they had just inserted, and I'm hoping it's a deleted scene that we get on the Blu-ray, of him, you know, maybe at his father's funeral, uh, you know, telling his mom he has to leave, very much like in the Richard Donner movie, where he just says that he has to go. He, he doesn't know where. He's just he's just got to go. He's got to find him find his place in the world. And you, and you know, I'd like to think he's he's come back and seen his mom in between there, but he's only come back to see her. He doesn't go around town, so the people in Smallville may not recognize him as being Clark Kent. The only one I think maybe recognized him was Pete, because he kind of had that look in his eye like. It seems familiar. That guy looks kind of familiar to me. But nobody else. I don't think anybody else knows that it's him in the town. They're all plus they're all inside. Um so I don't I don't really buy that. Yes, Lois Lane knows that he is Clark Kent. I don't think the general doesn't know who he is, even though some people have said that all oh, the general knows who he is. Well, no, he doesn't because they've got surveillance drones up trying to find out where he hangs his cape, and he's just knocking $14 million pieces of equipment out of the sky to stop them, which I thought was a really funny scene at the very end. But So I don't think of it that way, that he's been gone. People don't know him. They don't recognize him. So they aren't going to know him as being the guy in the suit. They aren't going to recognize, hey, that's Clark from down the street. Um, the second one was during the big final battle scene and even during Smallville too. All the death and destruction that's going on. Did people die in Metropolis? Yes. Lots of people died. There was probably 10, 20 square blocks that were pulverized to dust. People died. Now, some people said, well, he should have been doing whatever he could to save him like in Superman Returns when he was you know, flying on his back and melting the glasses that fell down so it wouldn't hurt the people. And I agree. The people said should have been like in Superman 2 where he was doing everything he could to save the people, including trying to take the fight out of the city. I agree. Superman would have done that. But I don't see him as being Superman yet. He hasn't earned it. This is his first day on the job. He didn't have 12 years of studying at the fortress under his father and how to control his powers and what he should and shouldn't do. You know, he he just got the suit like a week or so before or a couple days before. That's it. He doesn't he's it's his first day on the job. He hasn't he hasn't earned the title Superman yet. So yes, Superman would have done all that stuff, but this isn't Superman yet. This is Kal-El of Krypton. Not Superman. And actually the only time you ever hear him referred to as Superman is the the Air Force airman on the phone saying yeah he's coming in with Superman in tow and they're like well, who? he's like Superman you know the big guy that's what they're calling him it's the only time you ever hear the name Superman referenced in the in the movie but again I'll say it you know that's my opinion I may be completely off base but you know maybe it might change your mind to it maybe when you get the DVD you know, you can rent it from Redbox, get it on Netflix. If you get the Blu-ray like I'm going to do, watch it again. You know, th- keep that in the back of your mind if that was one of your concerns before. And maybe it'll help you think about it different. Hopefully that deleted scene I was talking about is on there. and It'll help explain some of that. Um, 
but you know he's not quite Superman yet. It's almost like with Daniel Craig in the last three James Bond movies, where yes, he's James Bond. Yes, they call him 007, but he's not James Bond until Skyfall. At the very end of Skyfall, when he sits down, when he meets Money Penny, and he sits down at M's desk, and M asks him, "Ready to get to work, 007?" And you know, then he's he's finally earned it. Before that, he's just James Bond, you know, secret agent. But at that point, he's actually doubles the 007 we've all known and and loved. Um, then the big, the last big one, the you know what I called the the snap heard around the world, him killing Zod, and it kind of goes along with the same thing of, like I said, with all the death and destruction on that. You know, people said, "Oh, he never kills. Superman doesn't kill people." Well, not necessarily true. He has killed people in the comic books. I remember, I've I've read about that, and remember in Superman two, he kills Zod there, but it was different. In Superman two, when he kills Zod, he he kills a powerless Zod. He picks him up, chucks him against the wall in the fortress, and lets him slide down, and then kind of you know wipes his hand and smirks. And you know when and I never had a problem with that, but then you have this where he's forced to kill him. Zod says, "Either you die or I die, Kal-el." He had to do it, and then he, he's sitting there and he's looking, staring at this family as as Zod's heat vision was moving in on them, and he has his hand around his neck. He's trying to stop him, and he sees the look on this family's face, and I think. You know, in my mind, he maybe thought of, you know what, I let my father die to protect me. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to let this family, this innocent family, die when I can stop it. And that's the point where he has to do what he has to do. And I think that at that point forward, you know, that's when he makes up in his mind of that he is, he's, going to do whatever he can to save people with his powers. Use his powers to save these people, save people as much as he can. He can't be everywhere, but he's going to do everything he can. And also, by killing Zod in the anguish, you can see the anguish on his face as he screams out that he didn't want to do it and he had to do it. And at that point, he, he is truly alone. He is the last of his kind, as he, as he knows it, that from that point on he commits to himself that he will never kill again because of that and that's what led him to that um, commitment to do whatever he has to do without killing someone in the future um, so those are you know just some of my that's 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 what I took from it you know that's how I felt that's what I took from it you know you can take it if you like you know, you can keep it. If not, you can just throw it right back. You know, it's fine. Leave me your comments. Love it. I'd love to get your comments. And, you know, if maybe you thought the same way or you had a different point of view, I'm open to it all. You know, I've disagreed with my dad on it, you know, my brother's on it a little bit, you know. Some of my other friends, you know, some of the other podcasts I've listened to, they've had different opinions on it, and that's great. But these ones, these are my opinions. I'm just sharing them with you. You know, like I said, you can take them if you want. You don't have to if you don't want to. 
But uh, I'm going to go ahead real quick uh, here and spend a few minutes talking about what we found out at Comic-Con last week. I hit on it very briefly in Episode 1. But uh, there's the big news, the big reveal, Zack Snyder coming out at the end of the, the Warner Brothers panel. And if you haven't watched the video of that on YouTube, please do. It, it sent chills down my spine when the logo came up that Batman is going to be in the new Superman movie. Um, and I'm excited about it. Um, would I love to have seen a Man of Steel 2 where it's just him, just just Superman? Yeah, I would. That'd be awesome. But I think maybe DC and Warner Brothers are trying to change it up and not follow the Marvel recipe step for step. And I think that's good. They want to, They need to distinguish themselves a little bit from them. And to add Batman in there, I mean, it's nothing we've ever seen before in live action. How can have we not be excited? Um, but it goes on to into now of okay, who's going to be Batman? I mean, I'm sure we'd all like to see Christian Bale, but he's already said he's not going to do it. That Christopher Nolan said, you know, those three Batmans are in a universe of their own. That's the way it's going to be, and I'm okay with that as long as they pick the right person to be Bruce Wayne. I think they absolutely spot on picked the right person to play Kal-El in Henry Cavill. Uh, I hadn't seen him in anything other... I watched Immortals back in February. That was the first thing I'd seen him in. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. He's, he's pretty good. But I still didn't know how he was going to be as, as Kal-El. Um, over on uh, GunnaGeek.com earlier this week, Chris Farrell from over at All Things Good and Nerdy uh, wrote a great article with some choices, you know, a list of some actors that, with some pros and cons of um, them playing Bruce Wayne, and I agree with them. You know, they're, it's a great list. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of talk lately uh, on other sites as well, specifically about Carl Urban, and that one's starting to grow on me a little bit more. Um, I think that would be cool. He's about the right age, you know, for me. I don't want to see a 20-something Bruce Wayne slash Batman. I, I would like to see a more established Bruce Wayne and Batman who's been operating in Gotham City for a while. And I'm hoping that's what we're going to get, and I'm thinking that's what we're going to get because, you know, of that Easter egg of keep calm and, and call Batman. You know, we've got the Wayne Enterprises logo. So I'm hoping that's the route they go. I'm, I'm, I'd like to see... Bruce Wayne, who's about the same age as as Clark Kent, you know, mid thirties at that point. So some of the younger guys, you know, one article I wrote or I wrote, not wrote, read, was basically pleading for Ryan Gosling to ask for the job. I can't, I I can't buy into that. Um, Ryan Gosling's a great actor, but I don't see him being a Bruce Wayne. You know, I've said I think he'd make a good Robin or a good Flash. But not Bruce Wayne. Plus, I think he's he's honestly physically too small to go toe to toe against Henry Cavill. They need a bigger guy, and that's why you know Fassbender would be good. But he's already in the Marvel realm. You know, he fits that characteristic. But he's in the the the, the Marvel world. Um, uh, Naki over there on Gunna Geek mentioned um, the guy who plays Dexter. Um, and Michael C. Hall is playing Bruce Wayne. I like that idea a lot, but I would rather see Michael C. Hall, I guess, as Lex Luthor. 
Um, if you haven't seen the movie Gamer, uh, he plays the the you know billionaire genius who's also a psychopathic criminal at the same time, and I thought he played really well. Um, I just don't know how he'd look bald, but you know, I'd, I'd like to see him over as that role maybe a little bit more. Um, but and I'm sitting here thinking, and there's so many good actors out there of who could be Bruce Wayne. I mean, we need some guy that is going to look good in a suit as the charming playboy CEO of Wayne Enterprises. We need to see one who, hopefully they go with the detective side of Batman as opposed to the tortured soul Batman. You know, the, you know one that could play the smart genius, brilliant role, you know, deductive thinker, um, but then also has the physical size and prowess to where it'd be believable to where he could fight with the help of, you know, his toys, because Batman's always got the coolest toys, actually fight Kal-El. Because we've seen how he can fight when he fought Zod and when he fought Feora. And so it needs to be somebody like that. And Okay, here we go. I'm going to give you my off-the-wall, out-of-left-field choice, for me personally, of who I think should be Bruce Wayne slash Batman. And that is the daredevil himself, Ben Affleck. And I know it sounds crazy. I'm still wondering, you know, why I'm telling people and actually admitting that I think Ben Affleck would do a good job. I actually liked him in Daredevil. It wasn't a great movie. It was a heck of a lot better than Elektra. But I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty good movie, and I thought that, that he was one of the better parts of the movie. I mean, the, the story was kind of lacking, but I thought it was cool. I didn't know much about Daredevil, um, but of all the characters in there, I thought he was the most believable in that role. And we saw some of his physical prowess and his abilities there. Um, saw some of his intellect, and we saw some of his charm, especially when he was flirting with... with Electra, uh, Jennifer Garner. So that's my, you know, off the wall choice. Will we get Ben Affleck in the role? Probably not. Um, I'm just hoping and crossing my fingers that they do as good a job of casting this movie as they had the the first one, Man of Steel. I mean, from top to bottom, I thought their casting was spot on. Um, not just Henry Cavill and Amy Adams, but you know, Kevin Costner, Russell Crowe. Um, Diane Lane and um, Michael uh, gosh I'm drawing a blank Zod and Feora they were perfect They were. it was great casting I liked what little we saw of Perry White I thought it was great I, I, I like him as Perry White uh, I look forward to seeing more of him more of the interactions in the in the in the Daily Planet um, and I look forward to seeing some more of that and finding out more as time goes on. They haven't even finished writing the movie yet, but I'm hopefully next year this time at Comic-Con we'll get another first teaser for the movie uh, at Comic-Con and the, if they go on the same general schedule and all that. So, anyway, um, I guess I've talked your ear off now for about an hour about Man of Steel, and I'm sure you can tell now that I absolutely love it. I'm always open to talking Man of Steel with anybody who will listen. Um, if you have questions, you know, if you about anything I've said, if you disagree with anything I've said, just let me know. We can talk about it. You might be able to change my mind. You know, I might be able to change your mind. But in the end, it'll be an open discussion. I'm not going to sit there 
and flame you for having a, a difference of opinions. That's not the kind of guy that I am. Um, I may tell you, I think you're crazy, but I'm not going to hate you for it. I'm not going to stop talking to you because of it, because really, in the end, it's two geeks talking about stuff that they love. And that's what I'm here for. That's what this podcast, Embrace the Geek podcast, is all about, is just embracing all of it, opening our arms to other geeks, finding out about that new stuff that's out there in the geekosphere. Uh, but I, I wanted to thank you again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with me. If you have any questions, comments, you can get a hold of me over on Twitter, at Matt Crowder07, at, uh, over there on Twitter. Um, you can also uh, see some of my uh, some of my articles over there on gunageek.com. I, I've got one up there now. I'm going to hopefully get another one up this week or or next. And uh, if you don't just have to look at mine, please look at all of it. It's all really good. It's very cool. Listen to their podcast. Go over there on gunageek.com. Look, click on the podcast network link. There's a there's quite a few great podcasts on there. You know, listen to all of them. Listen to an episode of each of them. You never know. It may be your new favorite podcast. You know, you can all of the all of us have our, our Twitters up there. Some of us have our Facebooks, our websites up there. Contact us. You never know. You might make a make a new friend. I've already made quite a few since I got involved with Gun and Geek, uh, and I and I love it. I can't wait for more. I can't wait to meet more of you. So uh, I'll leave you with that. Have a great night. Thanks for uh, embracing the geek with me. And so long until next time. Good night.